The views, information or opinions expressed today are solely the views of the individuals involved, including today's guests and does not represent absolute facts and should not be taken as a replacement for medical, clinical, professional advice, diagnosis, or medical intervention. Such views are the views of individuals and do not represent the official opinion of the International OCD Foundation. I would finish training on Saturday morning, and the next thing I know it would be, my alarm would be going off on Monday morning. Right. You know, you just kind of shut down. And um, it's not because, like, at the time that I was competing, like, I didn't drink, I, like, didn't, like, do any sort of, like, extracurricular, like, things. Like, I took care of my body, but, like, my mind was just always racing and just always somewhere else. And then the only time that I was present was when I was in the Welcome to another episode of the Smallest Talk podcast. Nothing small about this podcast aside from the name, of course. We have a terrific guest again, Susie Sanchez. I really, really appreciate you coming on to talk about the sport that we both love and uh, and kind of your journey through it. And uh, a really important topic of, of diversity in athletics and, um, you know, your journey uh, as, a, as a female athlete. I think is is going to be a tremendous journey to share with our with our listeners. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. So thank you so much for inviting me on. Um, for me, this sport of weightlifting has been my entire life and has like really given me like purpose and drive and has helped me through some pretty like major like obstacles in my life. So I'm always happy to chat about why people should do weightlifting. Absolutely. And so you started you started as a powerlifter though, right? I did. So I started my strength journey as a powerlifter in Alvin, Texas. So it's a small city just south of Houston, also known as the hometown of Nolan Ryan for any baseball fans Mm -hmm. out there. Um, But yeah, so in Texas, powerlifting is a high school sport. It's not recognized by the state association, but that's by design. Um, There are over 700 schools that participate uh, from 1A all the way up to 6A. So yeah, my freshman year of high school, I um, was lifting weights in like our just general like fitness gym. And like I say lifting weights, I was doing like leg press and like leg extensions, right? Right, um, right. It's not like I was like back squatting or like benching or like using free weights. Right. Um, but the baseball coach saw me and was like, hey, let me put you in touch with the powerlifting coach. Um, so he did. And then the powerlifting coach was like, hey, you're a small strong person you want to try powerlifting and I was like sure that sounds great so um, (laughs) for me I grew up in a Hispanic household Uh, my parents were very involved with um, anything that I did so like Mm -hmm. my life was like very much like if I wanted to go outside I had to ask permission if I wanted to like you know what I mean if I wanted to bring 100% I grew up in an Italian household so very similar (laughs) yeah so you get it um so when I asked my parents if I could do powerlifting they were like no and I was like Okay, but why? And so what ended up happening is I ended up getting moved into the football period. 
Um, so I trained with a football team my freshman through my senior year of high school so that I could do powerlifting. That's badass. Um, so wait, how did how did the guys look like? What was that like? Like that because obviously there is a stigma. I mean, I dealt with it working as a strength coach in college football, like just the, that macho man, to- toxic masculinity type. And obviously in Texas, like football, high school football, especially is like, I mean, high school football teams in Texas get more fans than some of the division one schools I worked at. Yeah. I mean, Texas football is like religion, especially at the high school level. You know what I mean? So it was really crazy to be the only female athlete um, in a facility where there were like six guys per platform. Right. And there were like 25 platforms. And this was before like CrossFit became a thing and where mm-hmm. before like female athletes in strength became more normalized, which I'm so sure. glad that it is now. But um, yeah, I mean, it was hard. Like there were always like comments that were being made, like whether it was about like sexualizing my body. And again, like I'm a youth athlete, right? I'm like 14, 15 years old. Right. And there's like, there's like dudes that are making comments about the way that I look or the way that I'm lifting or, Hey, can I backspot you? And it's, you know, really gross stuff. Um, but I feel like that really, that experience, uh, kind of prepared me for the trajectory of my life and eventually working in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space um, and learning how to be able to navigate um, conversations where people may say inappropriate things. So I got a very early start in, in sure. having to manage that for sure. Yeah. It's like that, unfor- like you don't want to have to manage that, but it, it's good that it, it prepared you for that. Right, exactly. So, um, so yeah, so I competed in powerlifting. I qualified for the state championship all four years. I was like the first freshman to go to the state championship, which was really cool. Um, and then my senior year or the summer before my senior year, my powerlifting coach got his USAW level one. And I also took my USAW level one because I had just turned 18 and, um, got into weightlifting. And so it was really cool. Um, for me, I thought that like my competitive journey was going to end after high school because mm-hmm. at the time there weren't really college opportunities to go do powerlifting. Right. Um, and there really weren't college opportunities to do weightlifting. I just kind of lucked out. I ended up qualifying for the university national championships because I was dual enrolled at the, at the local community college. Um, and that's where I met my coach, Kyle Pierce. Got a shout out LSUS every time I can. Yeah. Um, so he um their program is tremendous oh it's amazing i mean numerous world team members junior world team members olympians like kyle and kyle is just like the best person like you could call him right now and ask to just chat about anything weightlifting related and he would talk to you for hours so he's the best um but yeah so he saw me competing and he was like hey do you want to go to uh do you want to come to lsus and do weightlifting And I was like, I mean, I was planning on going to Texas Tech to become an accountant, but this sounds way more fun. Um, And that that one conversation really just totally changed the trajectory of life. Yeah. How how amazing is that? Like one one small in in the moment, a small decision, small conversation like that can just completely change the trajectory and and journey that you that you're on. Right. It was it was crazy. And so like through meeting Kyle and going to LSUS, I started getting into like event planning. And through that, I eventually made my way to like 
organizing large-scale sporting events um, like the 2015 World Weightlifting Championships in Houston, um, 2016 AAU Junior Olympics, and eventually making my way to work at USA Weightlifting um, in 2017. So it was pretty crazy how like these things kind of just happen. Right, right. And what was it like kind of working for the the governing body, you know, for the sport that you love? Yeah, so I tell people all of the time that I would say probably starting in like 2010, I decided that like my goal was to work for USA Weightlifting. Um, at the time, I thought it was going to be as the event manager or events mm. director, because uh, that's kind of just where I was at the, that point in time. But I knew that what I wanted to end up doing um, was working for USA Weightlifting and hopefully one day leading the organization. So that was, yeah, I mean, over a decade ago. Um, so basically, I strategically made multiple decisions to get me to this point, right? Like ensuring that I was uh, involved and I was, you know, volunteering and I was, um, you know, the, I was setting myself up for success. So when I finally had the opportunity in 2017 um, to work for USA Weightlifting, it was a dream come true. Um, mm -hmm. I, at the time, our CEO was Phil Andrews and Phil and I had worked together previously. Um, we were both on the organizing committee for the 2015 Worlds and then Phil was the uh, athlete like programs manager and national events manager for USA Weightlifting when I was an athlete at the training center. So like we interacted regularly and he knew how passionate I was about the sport and how much I wanted to provide people with more opportunities like I had, like to be able to set them up to have those Kyle Pierce conversations, right? right. So um, they had created the, the role that I initially started out with, which was a, a director of grassroots programs. Mm -hmm. And eventually that role expanded to include um, athlete, like direct athlete recruitment, um, and diversity, equity, and inclusion programs and initiatives. So um, I feel like in my six years there, I was able to accomplish all of the things that I wanted to accomplish. I created programs that were focused around inclusion. I created education modules for our leadership um, to ensure that everyone was on the same page with why accessibility is so important. Mm -hmm. um, and then Eventually, that has trickled down to like the WSO level or weightlifting state organization level where our WSOs are taking up their own initiatives, mirroring some of the work that I did at USA Weightlifting um, to take it to the next level, you know, at the grassroots. It seems like those WSOs were like the best thing to happen um, to, to, the, to the governing body just because it now you're, the USAW is not spreading themselves so thin. Yeah, the WSO project, um, so it, it launched last year and it, with any initiative or like any large sweeping change, there were definitely some growing pains. Mm -hmm. um, but I think now that everything's leveled out, it's been much, much better and much smoother. The problem with the previous like structure that we had, which were LWCs or local mm -hmm. weightlifting committees, um, was that each LWC had its own like organizational structure and like format and like so for example tom if you lived in colorado um and you mostly worked with the colorado lwc and then you went to texas the way that they do things and the way that they were like running meets or like doing qualification would be totally different and so that was a big problem for that's us, tough right? like that's tough yeah. not having that so, consistency is really tough right so with the wso change that consistency is like much better across the nation 
Um, and it also kind of removes the, there was always kind of like this air of mystery around like, well, who has the money and like, where's the money going? And so yeah. now everyone's money is in one spot it's managed by USA weightlifting. And then they go through USA weightlifting for funding. So. No, that's great. I mean, yeah. I, I think that definitely, it definitely seemed like you accomplished a, a tremendous amount in your time there. Um, I mean, I think in, in general, the sport is, I think it's growing now uh, more than it, more than it has. Um, I think social media plays a part in that. I think um, it's so funny because in Texas, like powerlifting and like you say that was like, there was a lot of schools that had that. It's so weird. Like the Northeast, there's like nothing like that around here. Um, it's always like lacrosse, football, like baseball. No, I wouldn't say football is good here. Um, baseball and then like just always team sports. Right. And I think right. um, I also think there's a, a stigma around weightlifting um, being dangerous for for youth athletes, too, which is like just so. I mean, that, like the National Strength and Conditioning Association just re released a statement about um, how there's no age requirement for doing those movements, right? For right. doing a snap, for doing a clean jerk. And I mean, I think that's something in my facility that that, I, that I'm the director of. I think I try to emphasize the fact that like these are safe movements if, if taught correctly and loaded properly. A hundred percent. So I, I'm actually a USA weightlifting instructor. And like I mentioned earlier, I trained with Kyle and Kyle has written numerous papers on the benefits and safety of the Olympic lifts, specifically for youth athletes, right? Um, ultimately, these movements are safe to do. Um, what happens to make people feel like they're unsafe is whenever they're taught by coaches who don't understand how to teach the movements or who try to like overload like nine-year-olds. Like there's no reason a nine-year-old should be trying to snatch double body weight. Right. Right, um, right. And that's like, that's with any sport. You're not going to put an athlete in football at nine years old and have them get tackled immediately. Oh, correct. Correct. You know what I mean? So like, it's, I think that the stigma around the safety of, the Olympic lifts, I think that's changing. Um, but I mean, regionally, there are going to be differences like down south, like in Texas, Louisiana, Florida, where football is like life coaches are more open to trying out the Olympic lifts if they think it's going to make them more competitive. Whereas in areas where football isn't, you know, the main like sport, strength conditioning coaches are just kind of still doing the same old school thing, which means they're saying they're using those same old school uh, mentalities to, mm. to train their athletes. So it's just going to be moving a little bit slower uh, region to region, I think. Yeah. Well, I think it's funny to say that. I think they do the same old things. And I I've seen this conversation like so many times. And as a, as a collegiate strength coach, um, when I was in that setting it was like, I don't have the time to teach it. It's like, no, you do. It's just that, you just don't know how to teach it. So right. you're not teaching it properly and it's taking you forever. Right. Right. And so I think they did like, it's either one laziness. I mean, that's just the re reality of it. They don't want right. to use them because um, it requires more effort and more coaching on their part and more understanding of, of how to teach them. And then two, um, I could see sometimes in the, in the group setting, it's, it's tough. Um, you know, if you're, if you're bringing in a, you know, 40 football dudes, they might not, have the capacity some of these underfunded schools to teach to teach those movements but for the most part it really is a lack of knowledge of how to teach them 
Yeah, and I think that's why I love the USAW level one so much because there's a whole section on how you can basically take a 45 minute period of time because that's normally how long those like training blocks are right. in a high school, like in a high school setting. Um, and they give you like instructions on how you can structure your programming so that you can properly teach your athletes how to do these movements. Right. Because here's the reality, like, let's say you have a kid in Kansas who has never done an Olympic lift and somehow gets picked up on like a D2, D1 um scholarship to play football and he goes into that facility they're already teaching the snatch and the clean and jerk at the college level like right. that isn't that is a normalized thing as coaches at the high school and even like middle school level you are doing your athletes a disservice not by, teaching those movements. by not teaching those movements and by being unwilling to like educate yourself um you know like for me no matter what job you have i think that there's a, an element of continuing education but for coaching it's so much more important because there are new studies that are being like released every year. There are new like movements and um, new methodologies that are being taught. And I think it's our job as coaches to ensure that we are providing our athletes with the very best um, opportunity as often as we can. For sure. Have you ever started, have you ever thought about like starting your own barbell club? Oh, I actually do have my own barbell. Well, I've, so I've had two. Um, so I, when I lived in Houston, I mm -hmm. ran Beast Mode Barbell out of Beast Mode CrossFit. So shout out to my people in Friendswood. Um, and we had about 27 athletes. Um, that's how I became a national level coach. I took um, a handful of athletes to AO finals, nationals, junior nationals, and then masters, nationals, and masters Pan Ams. Um, and then when I took the job with USA Weightlifting, most people don't know this, but in the staff handbook, when you become a staff member, you actually are no longer allowed to coach. Oh, um, really? So, yeah. So I had to, like, disband my barbell club. Oh, okay. Uh, which was a bummer. Like, I, I loved all of my people. But um, the other thing is I moved, right? Like, it's hard right. to run a team when you don't live there anymore. Yeah. Um, and then now that I'm no longer working for USA Weightlifting, I've started – a new barbell club called the retirement home. So, uh, yeah, so I thought very... I saw that tagged in your, in some of your stories, but I didn't know if it was like a new thing or if it was, um, developing or, or whatnot. So I, I wanted to ask. Yeah, it's definitely developing. I mean, it's just me and th uh, three of my friends that I'm coaching. Um, and we train out of my garage. Like it's very Tim swords esque, like team Houston style where we yeah. just have your, like, the your garage. Your, that's a pretty elite, elite setup you have. Yeah, I have uh, four platforms from the 2015 Worlds, and then, um, yeah, I got a set of plates for each and a bunch of bars. Like, it's That's nice. Tremendous. Like, I love, like, it's everything that I wish I had when I was, like, an actual competitive athlete because right. I'm really, like, I'm really lazy and I don't want to leave my house most of the time. 100%. So now I can just, like, walk down to my garage. But uh, it's really cool that I get to, like, finish work go downstairs, um, do some coaching or do my own personal training. And um, yeah, so there's three of them. One of them is uh, planning on qualifying for, or will be competing at Pleasanton in September for AO2. Awesome. And then one of my other athletes is coming back from an injury. And then the other one is uh, going to be competing at the WSO championship soon for Colorado, or for mountain North. So yeah, it's a great time. Um, I really think that for me, what I love about weightlifting is that community aspect. Mm -hmm. um, so 
I will always have a club. I 100% Never. agree with that. I mean, so obviously I picked it up later. I was a power lifter too. I started as a power lifter. And then um, my coach, when I moved to this area, found me. And then um, I kind of took off from there. But like, I have never been a part of a sport that was, that has been, that is so supportive as, as weightlifting is. Yeah. Like I, like even at like competitions, like people are just always rooting for you. Always like you're in the, you're in, you're out of the norm if you're not right. Like it's, which is really, really remarkable because there's just not a lot of sports like that uh, for a community that's, that's so um, together and so supportive. And I think for me, like, I, I, my career, my athletic career got cut short because of my mental health in high school. And I hadn't, I didn't think I was ever going to compete in something again, but competing in, in weightlifting, um, it wasn't as scary because of that supportive community. Yeah. And I totally agree with you. It's funny. Um, my husband does not do weightlifting. Uh, but he said the same thing. He he's gone to like multiple like competitions with me that I've competed at, that my lifters have competed at, and every time right. he's just so shocked at like how nice everybody is, right? Yeah. And I I really think that comes from the fact that like weightlifting is hard, like it's right. hard, right? Like you are in the gym. Let's say you do like a three month training cycle for six minutes on the platform, if that, right? Yep. And when you have those like off competition days, like it, it can be tough, but what's cool about it is that you know that you're surrounded by people who have been, who are living that same kind of struggle with you. Right. Like they can all, right. they can all empathize and they can all understand. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I think my, my biggest ick is when I, when I tell people that I, I'm a weight, a competitive weightlifter and, they ask me like what my bench is. Oh, seriously though, I literally just got asked that yesterday. I was it's on a It's so call fucking painful. And I'm like, guys, we do snatch and clean and jerk. Um, yeah. If and they're like, wait, I, what's that? <laughs> I'm yeah. like, oh my God, stop. I'm like, let me teach you today. But yeah, yeah. that is, that's one of my biggest aches as well. That and probably um, for me as like a woman, whenever people are like, oh, you lift weights? You don't look like you lift weights. Oh my God. And it's like, so what annoying. is that? E- yeah, like what does what that, does that mean? even mean? <laughs> yeah, like what does that mean? I've been lifting weights since I was 14 years yeah. old. What does that mean? Yeah. Oh my god. Also, like, uh, like actual like physical appearance for a weightlifter is very different than like a bot a bodybuilder or a or a powerlifter, right? Like, I mean, like yeah. I think predominantly, like you'll see pretty big traps on a weightlifter, um, or like pretty defined um, back muscles, but like. I've seen a lot of weightlifters that like have long, you know, are, are, are kind of gangly and, and like, wouldn't, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't, I wouldn't look at them and be like, Oh, he's about to snatch 160 kilograms. No, seriously. Um, so I was just with the youth world team in Albania and you know, it's funny because they're like kids, right? They're all under 17 and they're right. all growing. And one of the lifters, Ryan McDonald, he trains with uh, Dane Miller at garage strength. Oh, he I love, is I like, they're the best um so ryan's like super tall and like lanky super long arms and like i'd seen him lift when he was like younger before he hit the like his last growth spurt and i was like man this is about to just look 
super weird. Um, it was yeah. like the most like technically beautiful snatch I'd ever seen, and Amazing. it was so sh it was so shocking because you look at this body type and you're like, no way, and then totally just proved me wrong. So yeah, it was really yeah. Cool. No, I know. I think um, there's uh, Dylan Cooper said it on his Instagram like people always talk about like body proportions for weightlifting. Like there's no bodies that are like literally made for weightlifting. Like you just kind of have to adapt to your, what your body is. Yeah. And I think that's like why it's so important to have a good coach. Like weightlifting is for all bodies. Um, just like in any sport, there's like an ideal, right? Like ideally yeah, I mean, being, being seven, six for basketball is great. Like, I mean, right. yeah. But have there not been basketball players that have been like five, six or five, seven, right? Like, they exist, right? Um, and in weightlifting, like it really is a sport that is for everyone, all body types, all heights, because you can make those adjustments, right? right. Like, even if I am not like the ideal like body type, I can like widen my legs out or like change my grip, and I can still get into those correct positions and like lift heavy weights. Right, hundred percent, hundred percent. What's up? It's your host Tom Smalley. You're listening to the Smalls Talk podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to like and subscribe. What were some qualities of, of the best coaches you had and what were some of the, the worst qualities? Ooh, man, okay. So I had, <laughs> I had so I have two, I've had three coaches in my life that I would consider mm. like my, my coaches, right? My coach in right. high school who introduced me to weightlifting and who got me into powerlifting. Um, Kyle, who is like my number one coach for all time, and then Zygmunt, who I trained with uh, for two years while I was at the uh, Olympic Training Center. Mm -hmm. um, so for best qualities, I think that there has to be like a mutual respect. Um, mm -hmm. One thing that I loved about training with Kyle is that Kyle was always there to answer questions, right? Like we, we everyone did the same program. Um, which is also, is also like a fun topic. Like, do you need yeah. to change your programs like constantly or can you, anyway, so we did the same program. Um, but after I had kind of started doing it for like two or three training cycles, I asked Kyle, like, why don't we make adjustments? Like, why don't we change um, like the exercises that we're doing or, you know, X, Y, and Z. And so Kyle took the time to like walk me through why we did what we did. Mm -hmm. Um and I really appreciated that, right? Like mm -hmm. it made it gave me a better understanding of why I was doing what I was doing. It helped me build trust with my coach. Um, and Kyle never made me feel ridiculous for asking a question, right? It That's was part a really of why, big thing. That's yeah, a like, really, really big thing. Which was part of like what motivated me to want to become a coach one day. So that was right. really cool. Um, on the negative side it's basically the opposite where like, you know, I would go to, I won't name which one because I feel like that's mean, but like I would go to my coach and I would be like, Hey, um, you know, my body's feeling really beat up. Like I, like I can feel my joints like grinding against yep. each other in my shoulders. Um, and then I was basically told that if I wanted to be a champion, I needed to have a champion's mindset and that I had a, that I had a weak mind because I was, I was expressing how I'm my sure. body I'm was sure. feeling. Grind yes. your joints, Susie. Be a yeah, champion. Seriously, <laughs> like if you, if you can feel like, I don't know if any of anyone has had like, a, or if you've had a shoulder injury, but, um, yeah, like, I separated my AC joint. Um, and it was pretty bad, honestly. Yeah. And like, you can like, you can feel it as it's happening. Right. So like for Painful. me, I had a rotator cuff, bicep tendon and labrum tear. And it's like, 
as I was pressing, I could literally feel like it felt like just like grinding yeah. gears. It was awful. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that a negative trait is like dismissing your athletes' concerns, right? Like, are there going to be athletes who, oh, excuse me. Thank you. Um, are there going to be athletes who are sometimes doing too much, right? Like, why are we warming up this way? Like, I want to warm up that way. Like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? Like, sometimes, yeah, like, we don't need to answer every little tiny question. But when they're coming to you with like a concern, like, hey, like, I don't feel in my body right now, um, which happens to a lot of athletes who are experienced or who have PTSD diagnoses, um, or who have experienced trauma, like disassociation in training is a normal thing. Like mm -hmm. you can't dismiss that as coaches. We need it's to so like, invalidating. It's so it invalidating. Is. It is so invalidating. And then what's going to happen? Well, then I'm going to go and I'm going to take my lift and then I'm going to miss it. Right. Or maybe right. I make it, but I just, I feel so like empty and like not seen and not heard. And my feelings feel like, like they don't matter. And one thing that I was taught very early on in weightlifting is that weightlifting is 90% mental, 10% physical. Mm -hmm. Like how often have you seen an athlete go up to take a lift and they clerk it or they don't even take it, right? Because they've gotten into their own head. So right. how can, as coaches, how can we dismiss somebody when they're telling you that like they're not feeling it today? Like right. mentally, they're just not in it today. Or like they're feeling something in their body that is like putting them off from like training. So um, I think that would be a negative trait for sure. Yeah, for sure. I think the the, the flip side to that, is a positive trait would be a coach that's will that's willing and able to 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 go the the extra mile and make those adjustments and understand that, like, I mean, the reality is, you're not like I would say probably more often than not, your body's not feeling a hundred percent in weightlifting. I mean, like, oh, it's just, yeah, you know, it's just a sport that really, you know, it's it's a grind for sure. It's, so it's, it's like physical. Yeah. So it's like making sure that the coach is, is on board with, with understanding where you're meeting you, where you're at every time you're, you come in. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Um, I think some other like red flags for coaching are not like setting personal boundaries. Right. Mm -hmm. um, especially when it comes to like coaching youth athletes, mm -hmm. like we want to, we want to help our athletes as much as possible, but like it's, not appropriate necessarily for you to like pick up that athlete every day or like take them home without their parents knowing what's going on like yeah so setting personal boundaries is super important like your athlete shouldn't be contacting you at midnight through instagram right right you need to have a professional relationship um, they need to feel like they can come to you but at the end of the day you're not their parent right, right, um, right. and you're really and you're their friend in some way and in, in the way that like you want the best for them but you're really not their friend you're their right. coach right yeah no i know that that boundary is i think it's also with weightlifting it's um i think there's because it's a it's an individual sport i think it's that boundary is even more important um to, to clear, to make sure that boundary is very clear because um, you're with the person one-on-one -on -one a lot. Right. Absolutely. And sometimes I feel like it is a little like counterintuitive when you're working with someone who's coming from like powerlifting or like a gym bro situation, because like in those situations, you're just hanging out with your buddies, you know, you're right, like, right. you're all lifting weights, you're hanging out. And so it's super easy to fall into the pattern of, oh, I'm just going to go hang out with my coach after training. Um, right. 
and that's just again it's just not appropriate uh in my yeah. opinion no i agree um so i want to talk a little bit about your journey because because of of talking about you know good good traits and negative traits of coaches um you know obviously we've talked about it and you've shared with me about your your ptsd a little bit but i'd love for you to kind of you know, tell our listeners a little bit about what you what you went through, whatever you're willing to to share um, yeah, about your yeah. journey. Yeah. So um, this kind of like builds on top of what I've been talking about with like setting boundaries with like youth athletes specifically, right? Um, so I was diagnosed with PTSD uh, and MDD in or major depressive disorder in 2016. Um, I've been through a ton of like treatment and therapy, which has been super helpful and great. And weightlifting has been a big part of like managing all mm -hmm. of that. Um, sure. But for me, you know, I mentioned I had three coaches um, in high school. I was uh, sexually abused by my high school coach. And that's just that is what it is. Right. Like it's happened right. to so many athletes out there. And I say athletes because there are so many male youth athletes who still don't feel comfortable coming forward to talk about their experience. Right. Um, but I think that it's important to like talk about these things. Um, so yeah, I was abused and unfortunately, so were a handful of other girls who kind of uh, came in after me uh, in that program. And I spent most of my early twenties uh, just trying to like forget about it, right? Just like pushing it down and focusing on weightlifting. So weightlifting became my singular focus for many years mm -hmm. because if I wasn't doing weightlifting, you were thinking about, then I was thinking about these things that happened to me or these things that happened to these other girls. And it was just so painful. Mm. That I, can't when I, imagine. Got, I can't even imagine. And I appreciate that. Um, it was just so painful that when I got to the point in 20, at the beginning of 2015, when I hurt my shoulder and mm -hmm. I couldn't lift anymore and I had to get shoulder surgery and I wasn't allowed to do anything, right? I couldn't right. like- It takes away that singular focus. It took away that focus. And I mm -hmm. um, experienced my first like depressive episode, um, which then led to like suicidal ideations mm -hmm. and a loss of identity, right? Like who am I? if I'm for not sure. lifting weights anymore. And for me, it was, I'm the person who didn't say anything um, and caused all of these other people to experience all of these negative things. Um, and that was really hard, right? And so um, I started like going through, going into therapy and I got my like official diagnosis at the beginning of 2016. And um, that really inspired me to become an advocate for mm -hmm. youth weightlifting for not just youth weightlifting but youth athletes um, for athletes in general who have experienced trauma um, and especially trauma in sport and so when i started working at usa weightlifting i didn't want my story to be a story that was commonly shared um, because unfortunately as i've gotten more and more comfortable with talking about my experience uh, it's like every other person I talk to is like, oh, I experienced the same thing. Mm -hmm. And it's just, and in weightlifting, in wrestling, um, most of the athletes that I met at the training center had experienced some level of like trauma at the hands of people who were their coaches or officials or their doctors. Right. And it was just horrifying. 
Um, and around that time is also like when the U.S. Center for Safe Sport got established and right. like the, Me the Me Too movement was um, becoming a thing. And uh, for me, my focus was how can I make sure to use my position to help protect athletes? And so, again, um, I mentioned Phil earlier. Phil Andrews, my previous CEO, was a huge advocate when it came to athlete safety. And so when I, you know, had expressed these things to him, he was completely on board. Um, and that's how we started the USA weightlifting um, mental or wellness program, which is mental mm -hmm. health services that that were offered to our members. So I thought that was really important. Um, there was also outside of like the trauma and abuse side, there was the side of sport where athletes are leaving sport and they don't know who they are because their identity is wrapped up in being an athlete. Yeah. So providing services for elite athletes was also super important. Super important. I think that's uh, that's something that we've talked about in this podcast a ton is, you know, finding your identity after sport because a lot of these athletes have been competing since they're eight, you know, five, six years old. Right. And then all of a sudden it's done, right? Competitively yeah. at least. When you get to the point where like you're the you're the athlete, right? Like you're right. in your group of friends or in your family. Uh, hey Tom, like you made any comp you gone to any competitions lately? 100%. Or like how, you know what I mean? Like that becomes your persona. Right. And when you don't have that anymore, then like what are you left with? So um for me, making sure that we had like a robust program that would allow athletes to to get help in a way that they, you know, they felt safe. Um, and also providing coaches with an opportunity to better improve their own education on working with athletes that have experienced trauma or abuse um, or, you know, a life change. And so at, around that same time, we partnered, I started a partnership uh, between USA Weightlifting and Trauma-Informed Weightlifting. Mm -hmm. um, and they offer a certificate program on how to basically manage and like lead with a trauma-informed approach, like in your facility, like That's I mentioned amazing. earlier. Yeah, like I mentioned earlier, like if you have an athlete who's like disassociating, like in the middle of training, like how can you better assist them? How can right. you ensure that they're safe, right? Um, and that doesn't mean being a therapist, but it means like no. ensuring that like you're doing everything you can as a coach to keep the athlete focused, healthy, and safe. Right. So. I think that you make a good point about not not being a therapist. I think a lot when when I, I especially with anxiety and athletes um when we built this initiative with the icdf is like a lot of coaches will will say like well i'm not able to be a clinician and, and i think the biggest thing i can tell them is like we're not asking you to right i'm not asking clinicians will stay clinicians and coaches will stay coaches but the coaches need to be able to know who to refer to um when when a, a complaint or a a some an issue is is brought to that brought to their attention or um if if an athlete is in danger um they need to know certain ways to to help athletes cope within the session right so like thing and how to f create a environment or atmosphere that fosters that conversation more about about mental health so these are resources not to turn these coaches into conditions but to understand how to how to bring those those conversations more and, and bring them more uh welcome to to right. that environment the way that i compare it is um getting your first aid certification like mm -hmm. doing like cpr aed doesn't make you a surgeon doesn't right. make you an er doctor right um but it allows it allows you to triage a situation until that person can get the help that they need right like 
if an athlete starts having a panic attack in the middle of in the middle of training because maybe they have experienced abuse in some way, shape, or form, or maybe they're a veteran who has been diagnosed with PTSD and they are experiencing a flashback, what are you going to do? Just stand there? Like, no, right. you have to like you have to know how to best assist um, that individual as they're going through that. So, um, and I talk about PTSD a lot because obviously that is that's what my experience has been. Right. Um, but because it affects so many people of so many different backgrounds, not just people who have experienced like um, sexual trauma, but people who, you know, like people who are veterans, like people right. who have experienced, who have been like, you know, unhoused and who don't have a sense of like safety and like right. comfort. Right. So like PTSD. Um, it's very, affects- all, it, there's a lot of different subtypes. Right. So First off, thank you for sharing. I mean, that's, you know, brave in, 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 in its own right. And I appreciate, um, I know the listeners will appreciate hearing that. Um, how do you think PTSD affected you? I know you, you mentioned the disassociation. It, like within your actual weightlifting, within the sport, how do you think it affected you like technically and, and within sessions? Yeah. Um, so for me, it's like you kind of like get into this there's like, for, I describe it as like a switch, right? Like mm-hmm. when I'm training or not even when I'm training, it was like my whole life. Like I said, it was like a singular focus. Like right. as long as I could hold on to this one thing and focus on this, um, I would be okay or mm-hmm. everything would be okay. Um, it made me a great athlete. Like <laughs> I never, I never missed a training session. I've like stayed on top of my like nutrition. I was very focused on it. And, um, so I think that that for me, that was just how I coped with it. Right. Um, but then when I wasn't training, I would just go into these periods of time where like, I don't, I don't really know like what happened, you know, like I would finish training on Saturday morning. And the next thing I know it would be, my alarm would be going off on Monday morning. Right. You know, you just kind of shut down and, um, it's not because like at the time that I was competing, like I didn't drink, I like didn't like do any sort of like extracurricular like things. Like I took care of my body, but like my mind was just always racing and just always somewhere else. And then the only time that I was present was when I was in the gym. Right. That's so tough. I think it also one, it stops you from having a fulfilling life outside of weightlifting, which at the time you probably didn't care about because that, that you were making that your singular focus. But then when weightlifting was, when you were done kind of being that elite competitor, you know, you need to have other avenues and other things. Right. Absolutely. And, um, you know, thankfully I had an amazing counselor who I worked with, um, that kind of helped me, uh, better improve like my coping skills. Right. And like, how can I like deal with these situations as they happen? And, Uh, focusing on like grounding and being present. And now I use weightlifting as a tool to be present. Like instead of thinking about, you know, at the time I was worried about like, what team am I going to make or what total Mm -hmm. am I going to get? I focus a lot on like, I'm grateful that I'm here and that my body is still allowing me to do these movements because they're, you know, because there have been times where I couldn't. Um, so practicing gratitude has been super helpful for me and managing my PTSD and then using weightlifting as a tool to, to continue to do something that I love, um, while being like a whole person, you know? Yeah, absolutely. No, I think yeah. that the gratitude piece is for, for me too. I, I agree. Um, 
it was definitely for so me me and my coach coach sam he uh we instituted like a, a no phone rule for me which i okay. love um because i was over analyzing things like i would record my lifts and like just pick myself apart which obviously like a lot of people do it but it was to the point where it was just because of my ocd i was because yeah. of my ocd i was, it was attacking weightlifting and so um because ocd attacks everything that matters to you and so we instituted kind of a, a no phone rule where i literally write the program that i have for the, the day on the on a white small whiteboard and then i'm just in the moment the whole time and i've i mean i think we've been doing it for a couple of weeks now and it's like I've had the most productive sessions I've had in, in months. Um, that's that's so awesome. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely um, a lot of it is mental for me is because like because I didn't compete for so long in something um, and because it matters so much to me, I think um, I definitely get in my own head a lot. So I think it definitely being in the moment and and then when I am training, telling myself, like you said, like I'm grateful like I'm grateful I'm having the opportunity to to compete in something again, right? I never thought right. I was gonna be, being thankful that I'm 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 training to compete in something again because I never thought I'd have the opportunity to compete again. Right. Yeah, so for me that the gratitude piece has been super helpful and I just kind of want to add another layer to like the no phones rule. Uh for me, I have experienced I've had many athletes who like you know, social media has been amazing for the sport, but it hasn't been amazing for the mental health of athletes, in my 100%. opinion. Um, because not only are you recording your own lifts and picking apart what you're doing, you're now comparing yourself to everyone's best day I know. on social media. You know, know. what I mean? And you know I, what the worst I, part is? I know that and I still fucking do it. And you still it. do it. You still do it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I totally get it. Like, uh, it took me a really long time. And by like really long time, I mean like five, six, seven years. Like it's yeah. taken me a long time to, to recognize that social media is a, it is a snapshot of what people are willing to share with you. Right. And no one, you. right. And no one is willing to share all of the negatives, right? right. Like no one is willing to share the like, six missed attempts before they yeah. posted their PR attempt. Here's right? my 47 missed snatches at 65% today. <laughs> yeah. And so like, I try to remind my athletes and just people in general, like, just be like, if you want to use social media, great, but like, let's be real with it. Like, understand that these things that you're posting, it shouldn't be your priority to post something every single day. Right. Right. I, and you can, but if that means posting a missed lift, that's also okay. Yeah. Because that part of weightlifting where everyone is supportive of you at the competition, even though you went two for six, still exists on social media. Yeah, 100 you know? percent. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I I'm com I'm comparing myself to like. People that have been lifting for 10 years, too. Yeah. And that's I, the and other just, thing. I'm like, guys, yes. you can't yeah. compare yourself to. And then you, of course, because then there's always like that one like freak athlete who is just like genetically like made to do weightlifting. Um, Gabe Chum is who comes to mind. Who he's yeah, only been yeah. lifting for like he's only been lifting for like a year and a half, you know. Yeah. And they're like, well, he he just started lifting and he made a world team. And I'm like, he's like okay. the point two percent. Yeah, like there there are always going to be outliers. Like right, right. What what is so great about weightlifting is that we can continue doing this 
forever and continue getting better as long as we take care of ourselves and that's our physical selves and our mental selves so yeah absolutely no i know i think social media is a really powerful tool um but there's two sides to it and they're both powerful right so there's a negative side and the positive side right i think the negative side is is there's a lot there is a lot of comparison and and it can cause a lot of 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 mental uh, mental health issues and and challenges um, and a lot of anxiety. Um, I think it also can grow the sport. So I think there's, you know, there's, yeah. and, and can provide good, good, you know, coaching resources and different educational resources that people might not be able to afford, which is also helpful. Right, for sure. Um, so, I mean, there are, you know, I think there are flip sides to, to both, both, I think there's, there's two sides of the coin for sure. Yeah. And I think it's just important as long, like, I just wish people would be like more mindful of that. Like there's yeah. good and bads. Like let's take the good for what it is and let's take the bad for what it is. Right. Um, right. So. And I mean, it, people are posting their best, you know, I'm not posting like me spilling my coffee. Like I'm, I'm posting me, you know, what, like good things. I'm posting good things on social media. I'm not like, who's posting a lot of bad things. Right. So it's, it, right. we are, we are, we're always seeing people's highlight reels. Right. For sure. Now I'm going to go post a video of me, like missing a snatch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I like, I have plenty of those, so I, I, I can definitely find some. <laughs> nice. Um, thank you so much for, for coming on. I, you know, this was an incredible talk and I love, I love talking about the sport and, and seeing how it's growing and, um, what do you, if you could leave the, the listeners with, with anything, anybody that's dealing with PTSD, um, whether it be from, you know, sexual abuse, um, you know, being a veteran or whatever avenue or subtype it is, um, you know, what would you tell, you know, an athlete with PTSD that was, that's, that you were in their shoes? Um, I probably tell them that I'm glad that they're here, right? Mm. Like, I'm glad that you're here. Like, I'm glad you're here with me in the gym. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm here to help you. I'm here to support you. I just, I feel like I wish somebody would have said that to me like one time. hundred percent. Because it's so hard when you're like struggling and you feel like you're alone. So I yeah. would love to just say that, like, I'm glad that you're here, whether that's here listening or I'm glad that you're here in the gym or here on this earth. Like, hundred percent. Even if you're adjacent to sport or not, like I think it just froze. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, no, I again, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much, Tom. This has been so great. Um, if anyone would like to get in touch, I'm on Instagram at the Susie Sanchez. Awesome. I'll definitely plug your your handle into the description as well. Cool.